This episode is sponsored by Special K Glass. The first thing they always like to mention is they use recycled glass to make bongs. Also, they have a very dynamic website um, that showcases 80 new pieces they make each week um, before they put them up on auction. The website's in the description, but also is specialkglass.net. One of the great things they're doing is they also give away a bong every day, like every single day. Um, they're going to give away a bong every day for the rest of their life as a company. And, uh, they run all the giveaways and auctions on their Instagram. So look up special K glass on Instagram, and then you go to specialkglass.net and, uh, see what they're working with while you listen to this episode. Yes, sir. Hey man, this is Tommy Chong. And right now you're listening to the Anthony Rogers show. You are now listening to the best show in the universe. The Anthony Rogers show. You probably wish that this was your show. But it's not. It's the Anthony Rogers Show. Tell all of your friends to listen to this show. Welcome back to the greatest show in the entire universe. Uh, today we have a, a complete legend in comedy, uh, Tommy Chong. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing fine. Thank you. No problem, yeah, man. I, I feel like you're too big for this show. Like you should you should have said no to this show. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is funny. <laughs> I, I'm finding out I'm not too big for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, no, brother. I'm, I'm a little guy now. Uh, well, the secret is we all are. That's the secret. I think that like, nobody like there's egos just lies to us, right? Um, but I want to start off strong. Like uh, you were, you were cellmates with Jordan Belfort, the Real Wolf of Wall Street. I sure was. Yeah, I, I helped him write his book. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. That's well, crazy. I, I, helped, book for it. I, I helped him in a in a funny way. Uh, uh, like he's 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 a genius. When I met him, I I recognized that right away. He used to walk around and play backgammon, and have a conversation and beat. The, who he was playing backgammon with. Uh, and uh, we, we shared a, a, a cubicle, not a cell. It was a little a cubicle that held uh, three people. But we were uh, kind of, because we're famous, they, they just had two of us in there. And uh, I would write. I was writing my memoirs every day. You know, I'm writing a book called uh, uh, Memories. No, what is it? Something. Uh, uh, meditations from the joint and uh and jordan would come in from playing tennis and he goes uh, what are you doing and I'm, I'm writing a book then he, he goes oh i'm going to write a book and so he wrote a, a couple of pages or one page and he handed it to me like i was a teacher you know <laughs> hey what do you think of that and i read it and uh, it was like the first page of thomas wolf's bonfires of the vanities <laughs> which is probably uh, Jordan's favorite uh, book. And so he, Jordan says, oh, so what do you think? What do you think? And I says, you, you haven't written shit, man. You know, you just, that's bonfires of the vanities, you know. <laughs> Pretty good copy, though. And, and he got a little pissed off, you know. And he, he so, so what should I write? And so I told him, I said, write those stories you've been telling me every night. You know, every night we'd go to sleep and Jordan would, uh, you know, entertain me or, uh, with uh, stories of his life. And they were phenomenal, you know, what he did and how he did it. Anyway, he, he took my advice 
And, and he never really talked to me after I told him that he had written shit. But he just, he wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I got out of prison before he did. And then when he got out, he showed up at my house one time because we're both from the same prison. We're not supposed to uh, have any contact, you know. And we're both on probation. And so Jordan stayed in his car and uh, he yells up to me, you know, yells out on the balcony. He goes, I wrote a book. And I said, great. Or I, I finished my book. I wrote it, you know, and I said, great. He says, it's going to be a movie. I said, wow. He says, Martin Scorsese is going to direct it. And uh, yeah, it's called The Wolf of Wall Street. And so he got me a copy, and, which I never read. You know, because I got bad eyesight, and so I, I, I'm not really a big book reader. But uh, anyway, uh, that, that's what happened. And the, the, that book became a, a bestseller, and the, and the, the movie became a, a big hit. So, uh, so I, I, I helped him by telling him that he didn't write shit. That's how I helped him. <laughs> so his success is basically because of you. Uh, I think so. No one else agrees, but uh, I think uh, a lot of it. No, actually what I did, I, I put them on the right track, you know. I, I usually don't insult people, but when you're a genius, you know, that, that's motivation, you know, because those guys don't get told uh, too many times, you know, uh, you know, the truth. And, uh, and because usually, you know, they're ahead of the game. You know, and well, look at him. He's ahead of the game. I wrote my book and came out. I, I didn't make any money. Jordan has come out and he made a, a fortune and uh, made a movie out of it. So, so, um, so who, who, <laughs> yeah, who didn't write shit here? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That's, that's funny, man. Like, uh, and I had him on the show. I had him on, uh, when I was on the radio in Texas radio, I had, to, I had him on a show like, a couple years ago. I didn't know you guys were soulmates till after. And I like, I regretted not asking him that question almost. Cause like, like just to get his perspective of like, I mean, that's gotta be kind of crazy. Like, uh, and he actually was the intro for my show for the first couple seasons was, um, was like, uh, this is Jordan Bell for the real Wolf of Wall Street, blah, blah. The dude's like, that dude seemed pretty with it, man. I don't know him as well. I mean, you got to know him way better probably. I talked to him for like an hour or something, but it was just crazy. Like seeing that, like, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a fucking movie. That's like insane. Like, did you, you probably didn't expect that from, like, meeting him there to, like, seeing that. You know, it's insane. That's huge. Well, Belford was about three times more than what Leonardo DiCaprio showed, if you can believe that. I almost Leonardo. bet that for this. Like, for to package it into Hollywood, you almost have to be less crazy almost. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Jordan, Jordan, I mean, he, that movie never touched on, on uh, just a portion of, of his life. No, he is... He is really a, a unique character. And you know what kills me is that had he put that energy into legit business, he would be Basil. You know, he could, he, wow, yeah. he, he, he had that, he had that ability. The, the, what I saw with Jordan, because he, he, he's not that tall. And I think that affected him all his life because he had huge ambition and uh, especially with the ladies, it all it, it all boils down to the ladies when he was uh, younger, and uh, and but he his dad you know a Jewish uh, uh, accountant basically uh, Jordan was such a genius that his first uh, move was to go to medical school. Huh. He was going to become a doctor, 
because that's how smart he was. And he was very young, but uh, when he was in medical school, uh, the professor gave a little talk to everybody, and he told everybody in there, he says, listen, if you're in here to make a lot of money, get up and leave now. And Jordan got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how we're, that's where Jordan's at. That's funny. Uh, my my fiance wanted me to tell you a funny story too. He's like, um, her dad had um had your Cheech and Chong album, um, with the one with the rolling paper, and like he actually had the rolling paper in it. It's still, and I thought that was kind of weird. That's very unique, very uh, rare. <laughs> yeah, especially with especially with our fans. You usually there's a little corner ripped out of the top of the paper. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and like, uh, we had they didn't want to ruin the art. They didn't want to ruin the art, but they wanted to roll a joint. <laughs> That's actually smart. That's actually pretty smart. Um, we, we found out like this, like uh, we had an Airbnb guest a couple years ago and they saw the album, they're looking through it and they're like, wait a second, my dad's doesn't have the rolling paper. Like, 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 so that's how they like, real, that's how I like realized people were like smoking. Cause I didn't know, I was like, I'm, I'm like kind of young. I didn't realize it. I, I seen you, I found you guys in reflection from like your movies and stuff, you know, to where like, I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to buy the albums and, and, and it's prime and stuff. But, uh, it was, just, it was just, I just thought that was a funny story, like seeing it, like two different, like like one 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 person's dad had the rolling paper, one person's dad, like you saw on their face, they realized that it came with the rolling paper. Like you said, they're like they're like, wait, what? It came with the rolling paper, and they're like, my like my parents didn't have that. <laughs> like you saw it go over their face. It was it was hilarious, man. Well, people ask me, do you still have your rolling paper in your album? I don't have an album. My oh. kid. Paris, my son, who is now my manager, he, uh, when he was about seven years old, we moved to Vancouver, uh, Canada. And, we, and when the first thing we told him is, don't tell any kid, you know, who your dad is. <laughs> as Chong. And so next morning, I wake up and he's selling all my albums, my whole record collection, for a buck a piece <sighs> to, to the kids. And we told him, man, we told you not to tell him that your dad's that your dad's Chong and he said I didn't I told him that you were Cheech <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious smart kid man smart kid <laughs> oh yes he, he is but you know and now he's in his 40s so I can imagine you know uh, how old are you are you in your 40s 34 almost there getting there 34 yeah so so I can see why you know because my kid you know uh, he would listen to the albums but he never got the jokes until he got older and then as he got older then then he i, I watched the, the the transformation you know they, they would get the little poop jokes that we would do and then as he got older he he, he listened listened finally finally he reached that age where uh -huh, i got it dad i understand now yeah that's funny did you did you know like that you would be this like legend like like making these movies and stuff or did or uh did you know that this would last the test of time so far at least i mean i think it has you know Oh yeah, no, no, I had no idea. I had no, but I'll tell you what. What I did know uh, that when we started doing records, and that I had already been through a, a couple of careers, a couple of bands, a couple of uh, uh, experiences uh, uh, with, with with Motown, uh, you know, and. Uh, and I really, when I quit Motown, or they fired me, and they did, I wouldn't go back when they asked me to, I, I told Barry Gordy, I want to become a Barry Gordy. I don't want to work for one. And, and he, he said, I, I respect that. And he gave me, a, you know, a nice little step in, you know, money to, uh, 
pursue my dream. And part of the dream was, you know, getting turned on to improvisational acting and then uh, creating a, 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 a improvisational strip club in Vancouver and then meeting Cheech. And then every, everything in my life has been ordained, you know. I just had to follow the, uh, the impulses that I got. And, and I did. And, uh, and here we are. That's awesome. That's interesting. So you started in music first, you said? Yeah, I, I I was a guitar player, blues guitar player, and and a club owner. And, oh, okay. But I I've always been blessed. You know, my whole life has been blessed right from the birth. And so uh, it would. You know, I I said the other uh, the, uh, podcast I did this morning. I, I I said that I was I was blessed with uh, with uh, uh, hard uh, lessons. You know, I was blessed with a lot of hard uh, uh, encounters to get over, you know, obstacles, you know, and uh, uh, right from early childhood. I, I like I told him, I, I never really, I wasn't with my mother. I was, uh, that I can remember. She got TB and she got quarantined right away. And uh, when I was a baby. And then they found where I was a, a toddler, not, not a toddler. I was three, about three, I guess. And then they found a, a spot in my lung and, and I had to go in the hospital, you know, by myself, you know, cause my dad, you know, he just came back from the service and, you know, when you're in the hospital, you're by yourself, you know, your parents will come and visit you, but you're there. And so I spent a lot of my uh, early uh, year in, in the hospital and then I got came out of out of the hospital right went directly into like an orphanage uh, a home for for uh, a Salvation Army home and and my brother was already there and my sister was already there and 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 then I was you know I was taken from the hospital right to the home and that's where I, I lived for about a year and then and then my dad got it together and and got a, a little, uh, a little, uh, like an in, like a, what do you call it? Uh, a shack, basically. It was a bungalow, but it had no uh, indoor plumbing, had no electricity. And it was, uh, yeah, an outhouse and, uh, and uh, pump down the road, you know, the neighbor's pump for the water. And so uh, I've had a really interesting uh uh, early life, and the only only uh, I, uh, entertainment that I had in my life at the time this is in the forties now I was uh, was church Sunday school, and 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 so I really uh, took to the early teachings you know the the Sunday school teachings which you know uh, for the most part is all the teaching you really need if you're if you're going religion you know because that's you know the 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 basics of any sunday school is usually everything that you need to know about religion and i was very lucky and also ordained you know uh my whole life was sort of uh things happened and i was chosen i, I really felt that now that i look back you know at the time, you don't know, but uh, looking back, because I, uh, you know, the hospital stay kept me from developing my legs to the point where I could play sports, where I could get hurt, you know, that feeling. <laughs> and so I, I never re re developed. And, and what I developed 
in in the hospital in the home and that was this observation of people looking at people and then seeing you know how they because when you're small in, in the hospital or in the in the home you're an observer people don't even see you they look over you you know what i'm saying and uh and so i had that early being ignored and and, and it made me better because then i had a i had to learn everything on my own you know and i i became very self-reliant in in so many ways you know like like there was no toy store growing up you know if you wanted a toy you made it or or christmas would come and your parents would buy you know my we weren't wealthy at all so we'd buy one we'd each get one nice toy and then we get a a, a stocking full of uh, oranges and uh, fruit and nuts and, and and cheap stuff, homemade cookies, you know. One of the first, my first Christmas with the family was was so beautiful because we had nothing, I had nothing on the wall. In fact, I, because, you know, I, I, I've got an artistic street, streak in me. I took uh, the centerfold out of uh, the Star Weekly magazine and it was a landscape. And I scotch taped it on the wall so we could have something, some, some picture on the wall. And the first Christmas was my mother uh, out of the hospital was, was legendary. Because my mother, she had a tough childhood too. We found out she's 20% native. And, he, uh, and her mother committed suicide when she was three. And so she ended up, she only, uh, no, she was in grade three. And and so when her mother died, then she was put in a in a like a, a a foster home. She became a domestic, and I found out that she like she's native. She's twenty five percent or twenty percent native, but which meant her mother was half uh, native, and uh, and born on a reservation in Manitoba. And so when when uh, her when her mother died, the the kids were sent to various places and my mother was raised by this english family where she learned all the english cooking and the housekeeping and all that stuff she was a domestic until she met my dad i never knew this until my until she died and my dad was really in mourning he, he's half chinese he was and he was like uh, five foot three but really a good athlete and a, a distance truck driver he was a tough little guy but he uh when my mother died, I was in Europe doing a movie, and then I flew back. And when I got home, you know, to the home in Qualicum Beach, Canada, uh, you know, everybody was having having a party, you know, and and then and so I, uh, my dad was sitting there really really sad. So I took him for a ride. I said, "Come on, let's go for a ride." And so while he was riding, when he was riding, he uh, he. Uh, he told me, I, I started asking him, I said, how did, how did you mom meet? And so he told me, and uh, that was so, it was such a, you know, I, we never knew anything about him. Isn't it funny? They knew everything about us, but we didn't know anything about, uh, about their, how they met or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so, so then I found out, you know, that they met, uh, in the in the twenties, I guess, 
uh, yeah, because I was born in 38. So they met, yeah, in the 20s. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and you know how they met? The, uh, my, like I said, my mother was a domestic. My father was uh, Chinese. And, 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 oh, he worked in at various jobs. Uh, and, uh, and anyway, they, what, what they would do back in the day, they had parks. And every Sunday they would stroll in the park, and and the and all the domestic. My mother hung out with mostly uh, Ukrainian ladies that were domestics, and they hung together. And my dad was with the the Chinese guys and the other that gang, and and they would uh, the, the guys or the girls. Or no, I guess the guys. Anyway, they they ended up hooking up. You know, they, they my mom, my mom and dad met each other, and they fell in love. And he's five foot three; she was five foot eight, uh, and uh, oh, they made a beautiful couple. And then they had my my brother first, and then they had me. And and my I was uh, named after my uncle. Uh, and my mother, when she married my dad, she really went Chinese. Although my dad really wasn't a typical Chinese. He was typical Canadian, you know. He, he, well, first of all, he liked white women, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a beautiful trip. We, we drove around, and, and it was the first time we ever talked about that. My dad never used to talk. He was one of those, he was a truck driver. And when he left, when he'd leave to go to work, he'd never say goodbye. He'd just leave. And then when he'd come back, he would never say, hey, I'm home. He would just be here. <laughs> and, and, when, and then he used to tell me, uh, he'd beg my older brother uh, uh, to come with him on the road, you know, because sometimes he was for company. And my older brother never wanted to go because he was heavy into sports and hanging out with his friends. And I would, I'd stand there and go, I'll, I'll go. And he'd look around, oh, okay, come on. And so that's where I got my love of traveling because I spent a very, uh, quite a few years sitting in the truck and driving, uh, you know, hundreds of miles. And then and I, I was a really good company. I get in the truck, fall asleep immediately. <laughs> wake up when it was time to eat and then go back to sleep. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I was blessed, like you said, did I think I was going to be famous? Uh, I knew I was. I don't know. You know, my mother, always, she told me in the beginning, you know, because she said, you're very, you're different. And people are going to notice you. So it's up to you how you conduct yourself, you know, what that impression. Chills. That kind of gave me chills hearing that, like the last part. That's crazy. Yeah. Like what your mom was telling you kind of gave me, I got chills when you said that. That's interesting. Like, yeah. No, no, she knew. Uh, and, and, and what the secret was is that my mother was quarter native and they kept that hidden. They kept that hidden all our whole life, all the family. And she was from a big family. There was like seven, eight kids in, in her house. And, and you know, the funny thing, even though my mom, my mom marries a Chinese guy, that's our house was where grand her her dad came uh and stayed with us uh her sister came and stayed with the, the rejects you know of the family the other brothers they're 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 somewhere back east 
we stayed with them when when I was a when I was a baby, but I, I don't remember any of it. But but I remember. <laughs> I got to tell you this story about my aunt, Aunt Irene. She was classic. Remember that movie, Auntie Mame? Yeah. You know, where the, the aunt. Well, this was Aunt Irene. She was <laughs> drunk out of her mind, and and literally fall out of the taxi cab. And then she'd say, come on, give, you, give your auntie a kiss. She was the black sheep of the family. She was the one that had the baby out of wedlock, and then the baby died, and they had all the pictures. It was all a big, you know, back in the day, you know, there was all sorts of scandal stuff, you know, especially if you married a, a Chinese guy or, 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 you know, and you hid the fact that you're native. But my drunk aunt, she, met, she meets this other drunk in a bar, this episode is sponsored by ResRid. Go to ResRid.com or Amazon.com and search ResRid and um, get a, a free rejuvenator pouch free. Um, ResRid is a cannabis residue remover, um, and they make uh, your pipes and bongs smell better also. Um, they work on glass, ceramic, metal, silicone. Um, just go to the website or Amazon and check it out now while you're listening to this episode. And they get married. Well, he dies. And then they find out he was a war hero. He, he had won the Victoria Cross, the, the biggest uh, medal you could win. That's huge. And so she got this gigantic uh, uh, pension for the rest of his, her life. And it was just her. And so she, she, when she came to live with us, now my dad, you know, he's Chinese. He says, okay, Andy, I mean, no matter how drunk she was, she was allowed to live with us because she had, she, she bankrolled everything for us. You know, she helped, helped me with my music career, you know, when I needed a guitar amp. And she put my sister through all her dance classes and all her, you know, anything that costs money. Because when you're poor, man, you can't afford shit that everybody takes for granted you know when you don't have an income coming in and that's that's what it was was us in the beginning but my aunt she 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 took care of that and she lived with us right up until until she died and i be i was her favorite uh uh nephew because uh because i uh you know i just i'm that's the way i am you know i i would talk to her and and she, she, she really liked us. When we were kids, she'd say, hey, give your auntie a kiss. Give your auntie a kiss. And we'd all shy away, you know. And then she'd pull out her wallet and say, I'll give you $5. And, oh, she got that kiss. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. You have a, you have a lot of depth, man. I, I, I've never met you before, so I didn't know what to kind of expect. But you got a lot of depth, and that's interesting, like, kind of hearing those. I've never heard that through any of your interviews or anything. I've never heard those, any of those stories. It's kind of crazy to see where you came from, kind of, man. It's like uh, – it's like an interesting my, my mother was a storyteller, you know, and, and because we never had radio. Think about it. We never had TV, radio, light, light, anything. You know, we had a Coleman lamp pumped up, and, huh. and we had a, a kitchen stove, a wood stove. That was the heat of the house. But it was so cozy. And the first Christmas I was going to tell you about, oh, my God, my mother baked uh, cookies. Because she learned from the English. You know, and, and 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 then we did our homemade decorations in in the house, and we went out and cut a tree because we lived in, in in Calgary, and there was, for you know, we went far enough, we drove far enough to where you found a tree. We cut our own Christmas tree. It was a little scraggly thing, I imagine, uh, and uh, and we just had the best best Christmas you could imagine, especially at my age, you know. 
and that's and it was so funny because they're, we're driving in the car and and, and and pop says oh there there's where we got your skis we had some these little uh, what do you call those skis not not downhill skis but the cross-country skis and they were cheap and then they bought us because we lived in the snow and my dad says here's where we got your presents and, and mom says uh that's where we got some present, but Santa really brought all the other presents, didn't he? <laughs> By that time, we were we were way beyond beyond the Santa Claus thing. But I, I had a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, childhood, in, incredible. Because it, it was like Tom Sawyer. We 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 had no money, so so in the in the summertime, we never wore clothes. Or shoes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we had animals. We had chickens. My dad, being Chinese, you know, the the the, the habit was, you know, bring a chicken home and kill it and, and uh, eat it. And they'd bring a chicken home and become a pet <laughs> or a duck. And next thing you know, we had ducks and, and chickens, pets. That's awesome. And then we got we got a dog. And and I did an interview uh, about racial hate, about Asian hate. And and they asked me if if I, if I had a, a an encounter, you know, and I had many, but I told them the one when we were living out in the country, like I, I was telling you, <clears throat> uh, we went to visit a friend. We just moved there, and we went. We we made a friend, and he lived a few uh, fields away and, and down a hill and up a dirt road, you know, kind of thing. And so we went to visit him, my brother and I, and then coming home, it was it got a dark. It got kind of dark you know early it was around fall i guess and we got ambushed by this gang of, of older kids because we were chinese we were different and and they 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 roughed up my brother i believe they didn't touch me but they they pushed my brother around you know and smacked him around a bit and so anyway we made it home and we told our dad my dad was there at the time and my dad took off out of the house like a rabbit. And he could run because when he was a uh, kid, you know, in high school, he was a running back. And so he, he ran and got, I guess he got the guys. I don't know. He came back a little while later, but we never got bothered again. <laughs> we never, they never even looked our way after that one. But yeah, yeah, we, had, we, we went through it. You know, back in the day, man, especially... Uh, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, oh, man, you know, racism was legal. Yeah, it was the law of the land, you know. That's got to be crazy and, and, to think about. And they took it out on, on they, didn't, they didn't mess with the natives, kids, because, you, you know, they kind of stuck to themselves. They, they were like us, only poor. Yeah. When, we, when we had our, the thing, check it out, for the winter fuel, for the, to get through the winter, a, a native, an Indian would, drag a tree uh, a tree cut down a tree and you know in the little sparse areas that we had cottonwood tree and he would drag it over to beside our house and then my dad would give him a few bucks for it and then we would have to get the saws at least my brother and my dad <clears throat> would would have to cut it up and my job was piling the wood for and this is like this is life or death shit this is this is to get us through the winter. Yeah, you grew up yeah. like my grandfather. My grandfather grew up like that, like farm and stuff, like uh, like uh, yeah. 
having to do all that shit now. It's crazy to think about how, like, like how old are you now? I'm 83. That's crazy how much, like, the world has changed in that time frame. 83 years. Oh. That's, like, that's fucking Incredible. crazy. Incredible. Oh, well, look at it. I'm talking to you on my phone. Yeah, that, yeah, that is nuts. If you had to tell, if I told myself that in the '90s, I wouldn't believe me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember when they said, you know, pretty soon you're going to have all your music on your phone, and it was like, yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Crazy, crazy. No, I it mean, is. They were, when they got a car phone, I remember I got a car phone. It was, you know, I almost got in an accident because. <laughs> I'm on the car phone, and next thing you know, I'm in a construction area. <laughs> but yeah, everything is. And that, yeah, well, that's when people say, "Did you ever think weed would be legal?" I said, "Did I ever think I'd be talking to you on my phone?" You know, <laughs> that's crazy. Like weed's weed's basically legal now. I mean, I mean, it's not on a federal level, but most states. I mean, that's crazy. In Canada, I guess, like that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we got ways to go, but it, it, it's yeah. just, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, of the bureaucracy catching up with the reality, you know, of the thing. You know, it's not like we're legalizing it. We're re-legalizing it. Right. So, I, can't, I, I can't wait to try it once it's legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it's great. I heard it's, I heard it's got good qualities. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, It'll make you hungry, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts as, as like a kind of like a kind of a pop culture I kind of like I guess marijuana and comedy stuff like what what do you think about the medicinal purposes of it kind of like totally i i i well, that's what it was always used in the uh, before you know in yeah. china uh it, you know they got three thousand years ago they were using it or five thousand years ago they were using it for cancer and that you, you see how the Chinese Back in the day when they had emperors and that, you know how you know how they got acupuncture and, and tai chi and all that stuff. Do you, you ever hear, hear about how they did it? No. Well, the emperors they would pay their doctors to keep them healthy. Now, if they got sick, the doctors never got paid. Uh, and if they, for some reason, never got well or they died, the doctors would be murdered. They would be killed. Wow. And so the doctors had all the uh, uh, reason in the world to find a way to keep everybody healthy. And so they studied uh, animals and nature and everything else. They studied everything. And then they realized that it's a, it's, it's a circulation that kept everything alive. Everything circulated. You know, the water, in order to, be, if, you, if water stays still for too long, it'll go bad. It'll become toxic. And so it, it's got to keep flowing. And, and the birds and the animals, when they, when they get too much tension or too much static uh, in their bodies, the birds fluffer the feathers. And animals, like cats and, you know, the big animals, when they needed to, they never went to the gym, you know, they would stretch for their, for their health and to keep the muscles limber, everything. And to keep the circulation, it was all about circulation. And so, uh, so they come up with Tai Chi, uh, you know, the, the movement. And then for your health, they come up with, they know that the body is controlled by nervous systems. We got a nervous system throughout the body and, and they, they realize it from 
Oh, they from arrow wounds. When oh. when someone got hit with an arrow, sometimes they noticed that they would study and they write it down that because he got hit in a certain spot, it affected an, another spot on his on his uh, body. And so they, that's how they learned about acupuncture. And then, as far as nature goes, they, the, the the Chinese herbalists are are legendary. You know, you go to any country in the world, and you'll find a Chinese herbalist shop in Vietnam, Cambodia, all those all those places, because they they've had thousands of years to find out what what herbs and what uh, combination of this and that. You know, that's why the rhino. Uh, tusks, you know, uh, were so so in need because it it helped men with uh, erectile dysfunction. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, in order to get a boner, you had to use the rhino thing, the rhino uh, thing. Uh, and I, and I, there again, you know, because that was the emperor, the Chinese emperor's biggest problem, you know, is staying alive and staying uh, healthy enough so they could uh, uh, service all the, uh, all the women that they had because they had their pick of women, you know, and they could marry as many, have as many wives as they want, man. It was a purely, purely uh, uh, a thing, but, but they would have this problem with their, with their sex life. And so a lot of the, the you know, the, they had that, I think, tiger. They did that with the Bengal tiger. You know, there was some kind of, they were looking for this miracle cure. And if they didn't find it, you know, they'd get executed. So, <laughs> That's crazy. Have you been to uh, to Asia in general, like Vietnam or China, any of these places? Yeah, I've been to Vietnam. Wow. And uh, Thailand. and But not ex- not extensively. You know, we went on a sort of like a fixed vacation. You know, but I've been lately. I've been watching travel logs, travel shows, and I want to go to Laos. Ooh, yeah. Oh, and uh, did you hear about Laos? Well, some things. What do you What do you mean, though? What in particular? Well, it's in the mountains, and they've ne- ne- they've never been conquered. They're like the Vietnamese. You know, in fact, they're next door. Yeah, yeah, the Southeast Asia. And and their whole uh, economy is kind of based on clothing. The huh. beautiful. Uh, material they make they make all these beautiful silks scarves and, and stuff and the women are really beautiful my son had a Laos and girlfriend for a while and she, and she had to get up at four in the morning and do all the chores and work in the fields and everything else and then eight o'clock she'd go to school <laughs> that's crazy yeah. I want to go. I want to go. There's like the food. The Vietnam looks interesting to me in the sense that like, uh, it, like all that all that pho for like twenty five cents, <laughs> like the fre- all that fresh food, bro. And like it just seems, oh. and the culture just seems cool. Like uh, one of the oh, guests, that- one of the guests I had on here, uh, Mickey Avalon. He, he's in Bali right now playing shows. Like it's like, I, 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 the dude. Figured, that's a cheat code right there. Like figure out something to get paid to do over there. You know, it's like, like I don't think a podcast would be stopped. But I mean, some kind of, but some kind of like like thing to make money over there would be interesting. I, like. He's like, I, I wouldn't mind living there for a while. If I, if I my, my fiance wasn't like a school teacher and didn't have to be here nine months, I'd probably live there for a year or two, you know? But uh, I, would, I wouldn't blame anybody. I, I was in Bali. My son has a surf camp in uh, Asu, which is off the coast of uh, Sumatra. That's so and, cool. And uh, yeah, and, and his partner has a surf or had a surf camp in Bali. And we've, we've been to both places. I haven't been to his uh, camp in uh, Asu, but. 
because it's a little bit too rugged for family. But he's close to Borneo. I want to go to Borneo, man. I want to go to all those places. Me too, and, man. Oh, God. Uh, Vietnam. I love Vietnam, man. And when we were there, we were in uh, what used to be Saigon. Yeah. They have a war memorial there. And and, and, and the, bit, the guy that meets you, he's got a stump. And he, he offers you his stump to shake or touch or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Give a stump bump. <laughs> <laughs> stump bump. That's hilarious. No, Vietnam seems the most, af- most affordable and interesting to me for some reason. Like, I think, I think it's the cheapest and most interesting. Like, you can get, like, a place there for, like, 200 bucks a month or some shit. Like, and that's decent for some reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. Uh, and there's a lot of expatriates, but it's communist now. So yeah. you really, you, you really got to be on, on the up and up, you know, and you can't be dealing with drugs. Drugs over there is like a death penalty, you know, so you, so you got to be very careful uh what you do you know and there's traps you know of course yeah. you know there's a lot of traps for for rich americans but but if you go over like a school teacher you know uh and a hippie you're you're fine you're you're fine you just gotta mind your own business and uh, well you know the weird thing about vietnam i i thought there was old there was an old lady homeless wandering around man and you know because back in the day like when, when my dad, you know, he was like his, his mom and dad were from China. Uh, he was born here in Bank uh, in Canada, but he went back there and uh, uh, to get married. You know, see, this is in the twenties, <laughs> or no, yeah, or even the turn of the turn of the century. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, he was too. He was born in Canada. He, he wasn't going to marry any uh, any foreigner. <laughs> But but he was telling me how rugged it was back then, you know, because it was they were racked by wars and famine and all sorts of things, you know. And when you look at China now, you you can never you, you begin to even imagine how how poverty stricken they were at one time, and, and they made it through, you know. Well, we always uh, do. Yeah, we always. Do. That's how I feel about Dubai. Like Dubai and China just like fucking became like like huge. Like in my lifetime, like that, like like ten years ago. I mean, China wasn't even being talked about. I, I mean, as far as like being a world power, you know. I mean, it was being talked about as rich cultural history, but then like um, and same with like uh, like Dubai. It was like it was interesting, but then it's just like they have like the world's tallest towers in Dubai now. You know, it's just crazy. Like the thing, yeah. About, it's like I love yeah. seeing the world like fucking do shit like that. You know, I, I like seeing people win. You know. <laughs> yeah, and that's why when you see uh, <laughs> when you see uh, the Americans struggling with. Uh, with uh, with with uh, whether to take vaccines or you know, I mean, you feel like you're living in some not even third world because <laughs> even a third world country knows you know, like you know how the Chinese would acclimate themselves to a to a new country. Oh. Uh, they they would take uh, the dirt uh, wherever you're living and put it in a, in in a in a glass and fill it with water and shake it, and then let the dirt settle. And then they would drink it, and that would uh, uh-huh. give you the give your immune system a chance to register with what what bacteria was in that particular country, because we never had vaccines back in the day, and yeah. we had a lot of plagues and a lot. You know, the the plagues hit everybody everywhere. You know, the Bible is full of the plagues uh, they hit because we never had vaccines, or they never had vaccines. But uh, 
But so they had these these country ways of doing it, you know. Same as the Jamaicans, you know, they 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 got a lot of country uh, folk medicine, uh, you know, that that works. Well, every indigenous country, and that's why they get, you know, they they busted the the Mexicans for bringing their marijuana across the border. But that was that was their medicine, you know. That that that's, that kept them, uh, yeah, you know, it was like an antibody. But like me, you know, I had cancer, but because I did uh, so much weed in my day and and during my uh, trip with the cancer, you know, because uh, it was rectal cancer. It started out with prostate, ended up rectal, and then I ended up with an operation. But I'm I'm totally fine now because of the CBD and the THC, and uh, and they, it's medicine. See, it's always been medicine. And, and, and what is medicine supposed to do? Make you feel better, right? Huh, yeah. And, that, and that's what weed does. Weed makes you feel better. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar suffered from extreme, uh, uh, what do you call, migraine headaches. Extreme. And so he would puff on the joint and he would be fine. And I was up in Canada, and there, in, Canada in Vancouver, there's a lot of heroin. You know, it's the heroin yeah. capital of the world, practically. Yeah. And on Hastings Street, uh, it's all junkies. But at the end of Hastings Street, there's a cannabis cafe. And the junkies, when they're waiting for their fix, they would get their weed from the, ca- from the cannabis cafe. And I've seen them out there, and they're puffing away like they're trying to shoot dope. You know, they're <laughs> just getting that weed in their system, getting that THC in their system because it helped them waiting while they wait for their fix. And in some cases it was took the place of their fix. And you can't even begin to, to, to tabulate or count the, 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 the many medical uses of cannabis that, that, that we still haven't discovered yet. And we're getting there. That's a great point. I think I think definitely does a lot of good. Um, and I don't think putting people in cages does any good, you know. <laughs> so I mean, I, I I was like always working on this joke, like how I trust people to smoke weed more than people to stare at urine. Like it seems fucking weird. I mean, like the whole the whole thing with like weed being like how they, I don't know, they lock people up for years for that shit, man. Like if you if you're caught like 50 years ago or something, man, like oh, you're fucked out here, you know. Oh yeah, you got life. That's fucking crazy you to think about. Life. Well, it's a racist law, and always has been. The ja- yeah, I guess the jazz. Was- all the all the liquor laws, prohibition was racist against uh, the Italians, the French, and uh, you know the Puritans, the English, English, the English started the racism. You know they, that's when they started. You know when they conquered the the rest of the world, like Africa and India. You know they're so racist, but they they brought their culture there, true enough, and the language and, the, and a lot of their 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 things. But but racism. And you can see with Harry and, and, and Megan, you know, <laughs> that's why they had to leave because they did not want any brown people in, in the royal family. Oh, the British did. are super racist. The British are the most racist, probably. Yeah. Which ones? The British, yeah, the man. British. The British. Yeah, yeah. They, have, they have like different, they have different strands of white you could be even. They're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're fucking, yeah. They, hate, they hate me. I got red hair, man. They fucking hate me, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The Scotch, Irish. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and and that's what we're suffering. You know, that's what we're coming out of. Yeah, you know, I, I think we're so coming too. Out of that, that mirror. Well, when, when you look at Trump and, and what, what he 
tried to do. Although, you know, people, you know, especially the, the sane ones, you know, they talk shit about Trump, but, you know, they, I was asked one time, you know, what, what did Trump contribute to? And I, I said, you got to think about it, man. If it wasn't for Trump, we would not have Joe Biden as president, you know. And Joe Biden is, is doing the job that he's been trying to do his whole life, his whole life. And think about it. He was vice president for eight years. He knows. He knows the routine. He knows what, you know, uh, what is needed in America. And, uh, and, and we got to thank Trump for it because he, it wasn't for Trump. Biden tried, what, two, three times to become president? He couldn't even get out of the primaries. He couldn't even get out of the uh, yeah. beginning thing because he's got as much charisma as, uh, you know, as uh, my, the guy that delivers my groceries, you know. Not a lot. But he knows how to delegate responsibility. That's a good leader. See, when you got a leader that is sane and is not trying to, uh, you know, line his pockets. And the truth with Trump, man, he could have had everything. Because there is not, there's no money greater than infrastructure money, you know. Like look at Bezos and, and you know the Amazon, but and, and Jeff does another guy, Jeff. Uh, I forget his name, but he he owns all these apartment buildings. It's all about construction, construction, because you know what construction really is is art. Yeah, and I've always maintained. Well, think. From the beginning of time, it's been art that became expensive and that, that has saved many, many civilizations. You know, that's why they built those churches the way they did, you know. And that's a throwback from the, the pyramids. You see, pyramids are, are pure art. Art. Uh, and, and what they are, they're not only art, but they're uh, jobs for for thousands if not millions of people that make a living off people piling rocks on, on top of one another <laughs> and, and it's rock it's 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 employment and then they have to be fed so it, it's you can't the, you got an economy and and you're not killing people so you don't have to it's not destructive destructive yeah that's that's my that's what my, my aim now, because Cheech and I, uh, you know, basically we're finished uh, as far as movies go. You know, we got a, a documentary coming out and, uh, and we're, we're just finishing it up. And I had a little moment where I was going to, uh, I had a flashback, you know, because uh, we're getting close to the end. And, and I, I felt, you know, I, I did, it's just my instinct, you know, I thought, oh, I know what the movie needs, you know. And I've always thought that way, you know, when when we did any kind of Cheech and Chong project. And so I came up with this ending and uh, it was rejected out of hand <laughs> by everybody, <laughs> Cheech and, and the, the documentary filmmaker. And uh, we went through a little drama. But I really had to uh, come to grips with the fact that it's over. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm embarking on a new career. It's a new thing in, in show business that I have never attempted before. <clears throat> and I am, I am a poet. 
and and now I'm going to come out of the the poet closet, and uh, and that's what you that's what you're going to be seeing me from now on, is uh, uh, reading my poetry with the jazz band behind me. That's awesome. Doesn't it sound great? No, it sounds fucking cool, dude. Honestly, I, I love poetry too. Not like the beatnik generation type thing. They kind of did the jazz. They, I like that. I, I'm a big I'm a big poetry fan, honestly, and writing fan. That's that's actually really cool. And I think yeah. once you do one kind of art, you could probably do a million different kinds of art. You know, you've been like music, comedy, movies. I mean, fucking like, so, I mean, I mean, you can reinvent yourself constantly in this world. I mean, I think that's what America's cool. Like, that's why it's cool. You know, it's like, as far as an artist, you can do anything you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I love, you know, my notoriety. I, I love that. And now, you know, I'm going to do poetry for my live performances. Uh, I, I've got a few paintings uh, that I'm doing, and, and I'm going to do. I'm not going to sell anything while I'm alive, and then my heirs are going to really reap the the rewards, because uh, uh, I got a million dollar bong being made. Holy oh, fuck! <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I'm I'm really on a, in a good space because it seems like everything. It. Yeah, everything I do now, it it, it just, oh, I, I just love my life now, man. I, I, I got a plan. I've been watching, I've been looking at the King Tut uh, uh, program about his tomb. And uh, it's very interesting because it wasn't his tomb. <laughs> it was his sister's. Huh. And that's why, that's why they got some really feminine looking uh, uh, mummies or, you know, coffins. Yeah, I remember that. That's funny. Because it was it was his sister, uh -huh. and they just kind of gold leaped over her thing and rubbed out her name and put King Tut. You know, don't waste a good uh, uh, funeral here. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, perfect. I'm going to build my tomb while I'm alive. And then when I pass, then it'll be a big tourist attraction, you know. All the stoners will come and pay homage to the to the the tomb of, uh, of Tommy Chong. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Avere Fiducia. Avere Fiducia has one goal and one goal only: that is to help you dress confidently with affordable prices and great styles. It's hard not to love them. Head over to AvereFiducia.com or click the link below to start dressing confidently. <laughs> 